0: Welcome to FinCast, the Financial Integrity Network's podcast series. I'm Juan Zarate, chairman and co-founder of Fin. Happy to have you back. With us today to talk about the reimposition of Iranian sanctions by the U.S. government is Fin Principal, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, Danny Glazer, well known to listeners of the Fin Podcast. We're also uh, joined by our special guest and close friend, Jennifer Fowler. Jennifer is now the director at the Brunswick Group here in Washington, D.C., left the U.S. government, the U.S. Treasury, just a few months ago in July, having uh, served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Terrorist Financing and Financial Crimes. Jennifer was also the head of the U.S. delegation to FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, the international standard-setting body for anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing. Jen had a great career for 17 years at the U.S. Treasury Uh, and in full disclosure to listeners, all three of us work together. Uh, So there's a bit of a a past here professionally and personally. Why isn't the administration moving
1: harder on sanctions? There's more of a military solution to this than most terrorist financing issues.
2: Organizational structures as a key component for helping to develop companies. White
0: knights of illicit finance are a myth. They don't really exist. It's a direct attack on the on the money laundering vulnerability. President Putin's reaction to any of these allegations in the past has been, prove it. Uh, Danny, Jennifer, welcome.
2: Thank you,
0: Juan. Thanks, Juan. It's great to be here. This is great timing for this conversation. Uh, a lot of attention, uh, as we all know, to the reimposition of Sanctions on Iran, in particular on the oil sanctions. Let's just give uh, the listeners who may not be tracking this as closely uh, just a, a quick timeline here. Uh, on May eighth, twenty uh, eighteen, President Trump announced that the U.S. government was withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal, commonly known as uh, JCPOA, the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action. I think I've got that right. Um, on August sixth, two thousand eighteen, there was a reimposition of uh, some of the sanctions on dollar uh, banknote treatments, uh, and on November 4th, uh, just recently, uh, the reimposition of a number of sanctions, including the listing of uh, Iranian entities that had been taken off the sanctions list for nuclear related activities. We want to talk about what the implications of all that means, frankly, with Danny and Jennifer here, talk about uh, not only the details of, of what's happened, what's going to happen next but also how this relates to where the Iran sanctions program has been in the past. And so with that, let's, Jennifer, let's, let's start with you on kind of a basic explanation of what happened. What happened on November 4th? Um, how should we think about what the US is trying to do uh, and then maybe get into some of the key fe- features of the sanctions regime as we're now uh, facing it.
2: Well, I think what happened was really the these are the most powerful measures that I think the U.S. government has um, in its arsenal to to bring to bear against Iran. So the measures focused on banking, on oil, and sort of the way they're combined. So even if. We're, if Iran's able to continue to sell some oil, that, that money's locked up. I think that is such a powerful combination. So for me, that's really the headline. Um, I don't think there were huge surprises with what was um, announced. Uh, there was a lot of um, um, discussion in advance uh, of Monday of how the oil sanctions would be handled, what kind of waivers would be issued. But in the end, I think it was, you know, as you would have uh, predicted based on what happened previously. And um, it's very clear these measures are are, are really going to 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 bring a lot of pain for the Iranian economy. So they are very powerful measures. Um, there's just a lot of questions, I think, going forward of how, how they'll be enforced. And so that's an interesting thing to, to discuss and think about.
0: Right. Uh, you're right in that this was sort of perceived and, and has acted as kind of snapback of the, the old sanctions. Can you explain what you just described, which is the combination of sort of the oil uh, sale restrictions and then the financial restrictions and, and in combination how that works?
2: So the the there were eight waivers issued. So there are some countries, and among them are the largest um, importers of Iranian oil that are permitted to continue to buy the oil um, under the sanctions for the next 180 days. But the, the re- India,
0: China, yeah,
2: India, China, Turkey, um, Taiwan, South Korea, yeah. yeah. They'll be able to pr- continue to buy the oil, um, but the reason I would assume they were granted the waivers is they've made some commitments um, to reduce those uh, those purchases, and that's part of the way this was designed previously, and I think um, was very effective previously in in getting um, countries to exit that, that oil purchase. The thing that made it so powerful, I think, and cont- will continue to make it powerful, is that even as Iran... Um, is able to sell some oil, the money they earn from it is going to be locked up in accounts outside of Iran, and they're going to have uh, restrictions on how that money can be spent. So, they can only use it um, for purchases of humanitarian goods or things that they can buy from the countries that are importing the oil. And so, that limits their ability to to spend that money. And I think in the past, they did find it difficult to basically buy enough things to spend it. Um, And so, they had a large amount of money that kind of piled up there.
0: Danny, uh, you obviously were at the Treasury Department for the full sweep of uh, the buildup of the Iran sanctions program, the the constriction campaign, uh, the lead up to the negotiations, the the deal, the nuclear deal itself, and now on the outside, you're you're witnessing kind of the the snapback. How would you how would you explain to uh, listeners who may not have that full scope in view, kind of how this fits into the pressure campaign against Iran? And how do you how do you think about this when the administration talks about putting maximum pressure on the Iranian regime? How, how do you how do you think about this?
1: Thanks, Juan. I think it's a good question, and one of the things to remember is, I, I think what we see uh, with uh, the Trump administration's reimposition of the Obama era sanctions uh, is the continuation of a steady policy of increased pressure um, on Iran that really began in the Bush administration. Uh, There was the beginnings of the effort to target the Iranian uh, financial connectivity to the international financial system, really starting in 2006, and that gradually built up towards the end of the Bush administration, and then really came to fruition in the Obama administration. Uh, There was a lot of skepticism about the ability of sanctions over the course of the first four to six years of the obama administration to uh, put enough pressure on iran to bring it to the negotiating table but in fact uh, for a lot of the reasons that that jen's been talking about uh, there's a lot of controversy surrounding uh, the uh, the nuclear agreement with iran but the one thing everybody seems to agree on is that it was it was sanctions relief that brought the iranians to the table and i think that's uh, even the iranians would would agree with that the iranians were very Explicit in saying that that's why they were coming to the table for sanctions relief. So, in 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 that sense, um, sanctions worked uh, under the Obama administration in the sense that they created enough leverage um, on on Iran through infliction of pain on the Iranian economy and on the Iranian people uh, that was able to provide enough leverage for for a diplomatic solution. Whatever you think of that diplomatic solution, it provided it provided leverage for a diplomatic solution. I think the term snapback is a little, is, is a little misleading um, in that it makes it seem uh, that there was all this business going on with Iran. There was all this financial connectivity that Iran had. And then all of a sudden uh, we woke up on Monday morning and the sanctions had snapped back and that was all gone uh, around even. In the immediate aftermath and in the year or two after the uh, the nuclear agreement, Iran was never satisfied with the sanctions relief it got. That was largely because regardless of whatever commitments uh, governments and diplomats made uh, in terms of sanctions relief, the private sector was never really buying it. The um, uh, the banks never really in a big way went back into Iran. Even even uh, businesses uh, never really in a big way went back into Iran. That's for a number of reasons. First of all, there still were some sanctions on Iran. Uh, people were still concerned about Iran's uh, um, Environment for money laundering, and terrorist financing, and on the blacklist of the Financial Action Task Force. Um, and then there was always, again, the looming threat of 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 quote unquote snapback sanctions. And and then with the uh, Trump administration coming in, that 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 concern became more of a more of a a, a, a reality. So. Iran's already been dealing um, with limited access to the financial system, limited access to the international economy. What's what's happening now is this is just becoming more um, uh, uh, sort of formalized in the international financial system. It's going to get more serious, um, and it's going to get harder and harder, uh, as Jen was saying, for Iran to sell its oil, for Iran to um, purchase the types of things it needs to keep its um, its 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 energy sector uh, functioning efficiently and effectively, um, and to provide. The people of Iran with the things that that they need to continue to to exist as you know, as a well functioning as a well functioning country as a well functioning society, so i think I think that uh, that um, what we see with these reimposition uh, of 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 these previous sanctions is going to be tremendous pain on on the Iranian on, on the Iranian economy and tremendous pain unfortunately felt felt by the iranian by the Iranian people um, Again, I, I agree with Jen. I think the, the question is is, the, is 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 how we how this is going to proceed moving forward, both in terms of implementation, but also most importantly in terms of how is the Trump administration going to get any sort of diplomatic benefit out of the pain that it inflicts on Iran.
0: I do want to get to the next steps here, and in particular, reactions from Europe and and what we're hearing from Europe. But before we leave that, uh, get to that, I want to uh, get to your point, Danny, about. Um, sort of the underlying risks that have been attendant to business with or through Iran, you have the Treasury Department um, trying to make this case quite explicitly in an advisory they put out on October 11th of 2018 um, with respect to what they called the regime 's illicit and malign activities and attempts to exploit the financial system. Uh, Jennifer, can you talk a, a bit more about what Danny has sort of discussed, which is not only are these sanctions around oil. Um, financial transactions uh, related to nuclear activity, but you have this entire sort of landscape of risk uh, attendant to financial and economic activity tied to Iran. Can you talk about that? Because I think listeners, especially companies that are trying to calculate risk and manage risk, uh, need to understand how the Treasury has seen this and how they've articulated this over time.
2: Right. Well, I think the advisory really puts it all out there um, um, in terms of the different information Treasury has that is, um, you know, available to it on those on those issues. But I mean, really, the chief issue, of course, is is the support for terrorism and um, uh, along with corruption and human rights abuses, support for activities that are destabilizing the region It goes on and on and on. But I mean, I think in addition to that, there are um, real deficiencies in Iran in terms of transparency. And so it's very difficult to know. And this is something Treasury, you know, says often really who you're dealing with. And um, their legal regime, their AML-CFT regime um, is under construction. Um, they have committed to a process in FATF to fix it, to, to, to make improvements, and they haven't, um, they haven't completed those yet. And so um, whereas other countries, you, you would have a, sense better, a better sense of what the customer due diligence and, and sort of transparency measures of a, of, a, of a well-functioning AML-CFT regime would be you don't really have those types of um um foundational uh protections in Iran. So it, it can be very difficult I think to assess who you're dealing with and whether you're you're getting into a business or with a, a counterparty that you would prefer not to, to be involved with. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah just to pick up on what Jen says but to take it in a slightly different different direction, the fact of the matter is even put sanctions aside Iran's not a, has never been a great place to do business. It's it's um, it's not a reliable legal system. It's not a reliable, transparent uh, financial system. They don't have modern um, banks. They don't have a modern approach to 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 to, to, to financial intermediation. Uh, it's 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 not a it's not a great place that businesses are just are are, are dying to be to begin with. Now. They have one thing that people really want to buy, so that's a great advantage for them, and that's a, a real draw. Um, but uh, I think it's important to understand that 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 Iran's already starting behind the eight ball a bit, um, and then when you then when you add in uh, the sanctions, it's 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 a, a, I think a real dire situation for the Iranian economy. Yeah.
0: I think there there has been attractiveness to the to the market, the population, a young population, infrastructure, uh, car companies, obviously. Uh, Boeing and Airbus have wanted
1: to to sell into the economy, and so it, it, Boeing and attract... Airbus want to want to sell airplanes yeah. to to a wealthy Iranian government that 's wealthy because of the oil they sell. Boeing and Airbus aren 't looking to build factories in, in, in iran uh, the, the, the The economic activity that 's generated from Iran is generated because there is oil wealth, um, and so they they can buy things yeah. um, it 's not, it's not a place uh, i don 't think that it 's a place certainly. Um, you know, If I were an industrialist, I, I, Iran would not be a, a place that I was looking to do a lot of business other than what I could extract um, from the ground there.
0: And, and just to echo what you both are saying, I think one of the elements that has been lost in the debate about Iran because so much focus has been on the, the nature and the contours of the sanctions regime itself is that it, all of the questions about Iranian financial and commercial activity – are emerging at a time when the international community thanks in large part to the work Jennifer you did, Danny you did at Treasury, folks like Chapanse um, actually has high, heightened expectations with respect to financial transparency and accountability, you know, having beneficial ownership rules in place and and knowing who your customer is and knowing your transactions. All of these things are much more demanding um, and frankly, the world has gone through an experience of de-risking where certain jurisdictions and certain banks have been unplugged from access to the dollar or Western markets or threatened with such because they don't live up to those standards. And so it's in that environment that Iran is actually sort of uh, emerging, to, you know, exposed and, and, and having to deal with, with that sense of risk. And so, um,
1: so if Iran wants to be treated like a normal country, Iran has to act like a normal country. And normal countries have anti-money laundering laws. Normal countries have counter terrorist financing laws. Normal countries uh, you know, conduct themselves um, in such a way that it's possible to engage in, in, in transparent financial relationships. Um, and again, that's all before you even get to sanctions jennifer
0: let me uh let's turn to and let, let me ask you this this question about what comes next there's the Iranians have been defiant, obviously talking about wanting to obviously continue oil trade they're going to find ways to evade sanctions so if you can talk a little bit about what you see maybe happening in terms of evasion, uh, what your experience shows as to how the iranians might might evade and then talk a little bit about what the Europeans have been saying because there has have been discussions about creating special purpose vehicles to uh, work around the sanctions, also now the anti-blocking legislation uh, that makes it difficult for European companies to disengage from uh, business in Iran without getting approval from the European authorities. So talk to us about sort of that, that landscape. What comes next in reaction to the reimposition of sanctions?
2: Well, I think on the oil side, um, and I'm certainly I'm not an energy expert, um, but it, it's clear there'll be smuggling and there'll be maritime shenanigans in various ways that that, that people are able to get their hands on oil um, without you know without detection. I think there are a lot of ways to detect it as well, so I, I don't think that's going to be you know uh, undetectable, mm-hmm. but it will go on. Um, and then there's the financial mechanisms that are. Um, Sort of interesting. So, you see a lot of discussion of barter arrangements and different things that maybe can be created to avoid sort of the financial sanctions that would come along with uh, someone who's financing an oil transaction that's not permitted under the sanctions regime. You know, I'm skeptical about those. I'd be interested in what Danny thinks. I mean, I think Treasury and the U.S. government can find ways to deal with those kinds of arrangements um, with some pressure or some enforcement. Um, But you see a lot of that discussion. And then we see what's happening in Europe, which I think is very interesting Um, um, and just interesting in terms of see where it goes. Um, We just haven't seen Europe um, take this type of a position when it comes to um, sanctions on Iran in the past. And so there's a blocking order um, where uh, it basically prohibits European companies or banks from exiting business without permission. Um, And that is going to be very difficult for the EU to enforce or to really... Take action on, but just talking to colleagues in Europe, what I understand is the a big issue there would be, you know, it uh, it opens up the possibility for lawsuits if they do exit, um, and so how will that proceed um, um, from that perspective? Um, and i 'm sure banks are and companies are trying to determine how they can comply with u s sanctions and not run afoul of this e blocking order. Then you have the the special purpose vehicle, um, which again I think even yesterday European governments were saying they were very committed to creating i i have all the curiosity in the world to see what they come up with. Um, I'm very um, skeptical though that there's really a solution there that can finance large-scale trade um, of any real um, significance because I think the risks are very, very high and financial institutions and governments understand that. And I think they understand the U.S. government's very serious about seeing this through. Um, and so, I, I just think that's an interesting new element in this in this round of the sanctions um, to 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 see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, a bit of a rift in that transatlantic uh, relationship and, and divide. Um, Danny, can you speak to uh, what you see happening in Europe? I know you've expressed very strong opinions about this uh, in the media and and, uh, and even privately about uh, about the European reaction, and also speak to Swift's decision which appears to take uh, 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 the position they haven't announced exactly what they're going to do but it's likely that they are going to unplug uh designated Iranian banks from the Swift uh <laughs> bank messaging system. Can you speak to not only what Swift has done but how this plays into Europe's reaction?
1: Well, I I have a lot of sympathy for the European governments. I understand why they're upset. I understand why they're angry. I understand why they feel betrayed. Uh, in some way by the United States. They thought that there was a deal and they don't think that there's adequate grounds for the United States to walk away from the deal. And there you know, from in my opinion, they're they're uh, from a sort of a pure intelligence information basis, there probably aren't those grounds. This is this was a political decision to walk away from the deal or an assessment of the value of the of the agreement itself, not a not really a question of whether Iran's violating the agreement or not. So I could understand why the Europeans are upset um, and frustrated. The fact of the matter is uh the United States is a financial and economic superpower, and Iran is not a financial and economic superpower. And so that's not a fair fight between the United States and Iran, and Iran is going to feel that pain. And there's very little that the Europeans uh, could do about that. They, I, I don't think um, – you know, I think it's an easy question for European businesses and banks. And, and as I said, it's not as if there was all these transactions that were going on prior to sanctions and blocking orders and, 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 and this and that. Uh, the Europeans had not really, in, the private sector had not really in a big way re-engaged uh, with with Iran. And because it's an easy decision for a, a European bank or a European business who's apolitical and uh, what they, they don't care about Iran uh, beyond, beyond uh, some sort of business motive. So in choosing between the United States market and the Iranian market, it's not a hard question for them. Uh, The idea that the Europeans are going to create a a special purpose vehicle, uh, I think it's interesting to note that all the talk that I've heard, maybe there's something out there that I haven't heard, but all the talk that I've heard have come from foreign ministries um, and diplomats and politicians. I have yet to hear a single a um, uh, central banker talk about it. I've yet to hear a single finance ministry official talk about it. I've yet to hear a single uh, a s- senior private sector financial official talk about it. When I start hearing those types of people talk about a special purpose vehicle, I'll, I'll, I'll sit up and take take note. Um, but as long as it seems to be a, a, a talking point in a, in, a, in a long sort of list of complaints about US foreign policy, uh, even if I have may may or may not agree with some of those complaints, I I don't think uh, I don't think it's 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 a very it's a very credible threat. Even the the, the and, and also just I mean just in a, in a in a broader sense. Of course, there's going to be sanctioned evasion. Of course, the Iranians are going to figure. Of course, on any individual transactions, the Iranians are going to figure out a way to conduct an individual transaction. Of course, they'll figure out ways to smuggle. Uh, but uh, but the bottom line is is that Iran is 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 a, is a big country with uh, with 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 public opinion with 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 a population uh that that uh that 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 needs to be taken care of and the the economic pain that they're going to be under uh is is going to be really really difficult for them um, you know, you hear talk from Iranian politicians and Iranian leadership about resistance economies and things like that, and they survived the Iraq war, and they certainly did. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of people in, in Iran who want to go back to the days of the mid-80s uh, and, uh, and and live um, under the conditions that they lived in then. So uh, I, I think that there's real, real problems that the Iranians face, and there's very little that the, that the European governments are going to be able to do about that.
0: Your comments underscore, Danny, this interesting dichotomy, which I think all of us have experienced in government and witnesses now outside sort of observers and experts, the divide between sort of the diplomacy of financial sanctions and the reality of underlying financial crime and illicit financing risk, which we've already touched on. But to your point, Danny, um, perhaps a lack of appreciation by the diplomatic community of what the underlying risk is as... The real risk, but also the perceived risk of of doing business with Iran, and sort of the concentration of risk of creating a special purpose vehicle of dealing with Iranian transactions—that almost strikes me as a as a, a primary money laundering concern. If if one is to look at the Treasury advisory and uh, the risks of, of of doing business. But before we leave this question of reaction, there's also the question of how countries like Turkey and China will respond, and whether or not they will be sort of outlets for uh, Iranian oil, Iranian financial activity, commercial activity. Jennifer, given your experience, what do you think about that? Turkey's been somewhat defiant in in some ways about this. How how do these other countries play into uh, the sanctions implementation?
2: I mean, I think, um, look, I think they are going to want I mean, it seems obvious they're going to want to continue to buy this oil. Um, They'll find ways to get it illicitly. Um, But at a certain point, this is going to depend on what is the U.S. going to do in terms of enforcement. So what is the U.S. willing to do to send a signal or really to hold them accountable for things they find in terms of violations or for their unwillingness to continue to decrease their their purchases of oil? And I think with China and Turkey, the beyond the sanctions and Iran issue, there's so much other complexity there that, you know, I, I would I would – I would predict they will use this to their advantage. Um, You know, our need for cooperation on Iran to achieve some gains in other areas that they care about.
1: I mean, I think people also need to keep in mind that Iran deeply discounting its oil so it could sell it either on black markets or to countries that are willing to take it, that's an impact of sanctions too. Yeah, that's if true. Iran's yeah, very true. At, <laughs> if Iran if, selling it – if oil is selling it, whatever, yeah. at $70 a barrel and Iran has to sell its oil at, at $50 a barrel, sure. that's, that's that's a big impact of of, of sanctions.
2: And that's already happened, right? so it's if happening.
1: If Turkey – If if, if Iran's greatest friend in in all of this is going to be Turkey, then Iran's got some real problems because Turkey is not a natural ally of Iran. Turkey is going to be happy to take discounted oil. Um, And there will be a a, a diplomatic process between Turkey and the United States that's going to place some restrictions on that. China's going to be happy to take discounted oil from Iran. We've already seen the diplomatic process that's placing restrictions on that and tying that money up in a very, very similar process that happened in the Obama administration and with India as well. So uh, you know, even, you know, even as I, I know the goal and the, the, the administration stated goal is to get Iranian exports down to zero. Of course, that's the goal. That's a, it's, a, it's a worthy goal. Um, it's not going to happen, uh, but uh, it doesn't have to go down to zero it doesn't have to go down to zero to have a major major impact on iran and and i think iran's going to feel that uh pretty swiftly no pun intended
0: okay. <laughs> um, let's let's turn now and maybe finally to you know what comes next what comes next in terms of risk um uh, to the private sector in this space what comes next in terms of sanctions policy um, and then, e- even sort of how the international community deals with Iran. You, you both have had deep and long experience with the Financial Action Task Force. I know there's a lot of curiosity as to what that body says and does with respect to Iran and potential countermeasures or reimposition of countermeasures. Um, help the listeners, help us forecast a little bit. What's going to happen in, in this environment, Jennifer? What should we be looking for?
2: Um, well, I'm on FATF, um, I think you know Danny and I have spent a lot of time in FATF, and um, <coughs> have nothing but respect for the, the the people that work in the in the FATF on these issues, and. They are very committed to looking at them in a very technical way. Um, And the FATF's last statement on Iran in October was very clear about what the expectations are for the next meeting. Um, But they're pretty high expectations. Um, You know, Iran has managed to make some incremental progress in various parts of its system to get various amendments and things um, passed by the Majlis, but they have to be approved um, you know, by the Guardian Council and so to be enforced. And so that's and that's what, what FATIF looks for. So they have very clear expectations. Um, I think what will likely happen is Iran will find a way to demonstrate some progress and we'll probably continue to have a suspension of countermeasures, um, you know, not a full reimposition um, you know, going forward in the short term. On the other hand, um, I think there's a an, a, reconnec- a recognition emphatic that this can't go on forever because there is a credibility issue um, for the process. Um, but if you look at what has already, I mean, to me, in in a way, it's a, it's a successful story um, because you have a commitment from Iran to work on these things, and you have a very clear set of expectations, and they have, you know, made steps that you wouldn't have thought were even possible, you know, five years ago. And what's
0: interesting too, Jennifer, is it spurred a debate within Iran around these issues, which. I think yeah. it's really important. You know, will they even in the continue- last six months exactly. you see them?
2: You know, making steps toward a counter finance. You know, ratifying counter-terrorist financing. Yeah, um, and, what
0: and what does that mean? What does it that But support Hamas you see and an open, d- you openly. know, yeah. a, a,
2: an open discussion of it. So I don't, that's my prediction. That I mean, I think to Danny's point, I think earlier the we didn't mention that there were a, a, on Monday there were a number of Iranian banks that were relisted or listed. You know, for designations. You know, for me, there just never there was no connectivity that was reestablished um, between not really between Iran and the rest and the in the global financial system. So there were
0: some minor banks talking about going back in, but none of the major global direct banks. direct relationships.
2: Did. Not yeah. really, yeah. and so I think this is going to be a challenging landscape for global financial institutions to make decisions about oil things that they're financing that could fall afoul of sanctions. Um, One of the flashpoints in the last sort of ramp up was humanitarian transactions. Um, they are permitted. But you found that global financial institutions that could finance that trade didn't want to do it. Um, so what will happen there? And that became a real challenging uh, situation and narrative for governments um, because there are, real, there are real impacts inside of Iran for those types of um, – when those kinds of fi- that kind of financing is not available. Um, and so it'll be – that's one of the things I'd like, I want to watch to see whether those types of goods continue to flow into Iran. Um, given the the very high risk situation that banks are now finding themselves in,
1: Danny, what, what do you, moving, you see? Mo- What's in your crystal ball? <laughs> in my crystal ball. I don't think this one's. I think there's an aspect of it that's very easy easy to predict, and then there's an aspect of it that's very difficult to predict. On the easy side, what happens next, I think is 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 pretty clear because it's the same playbook that was that you saw in the Bush administration and in the Obama administration, and that's. Uh, the, they'll be the, Iran will try to evade these sanctions for a, in a variety of ways, and there'll be a cat and mouse game with the U.S. Treasury Department, where it tries to monitor that and you know find uh, banks or individuals who are, who are willing to engage in that and and post sanctions, and that will have a deterrent effect. And that sort of that sort of cat and mouse game. Will go on, but the but the, the 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 broader picture will be, in the in in the broader context of that sort of little cat and mouse game, will be this broad broad financial pressure, and I think things are going to get worse, um, and worse for the Iranians. That's that's and and then there'll, there'll be a variety of diplomatic initiatives that the United States will pursue with the Chinese, with the Turks, with the Indians, <clears throat> with with the with the Iraqis, um, with with others that have real sort of economic and financial interests to, to stay with Iran to try to contain that. And, and they'll, they'll, those will be successful to a point. And, and again, I will continue to put pressure on, 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 on Iran, and, and, and Iran will, will, will feel the pain. What's, what's difficult to predict is how the United States intends to, to translate that leverage the pain that around feels is is leverage how does the how does the u s translate that leverage into some sort of diplomatic progress into some sort of political um, uh, uh, gain accomplishment achievement um, in the obama administration the, the 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 sanctions were very very closely tied to a diplomatic strategy i don 't think that 's the case in this administration uh, and what we 've seen say in the case of Venezuela is when you have a an authoritarian government with a monopoly on on the use of force, as we have in in Iran, uh, the mere collapse of an economy does not necessarily mean the government goes goes away. It's a disaster for the people who live in that country, uh, but the government maintains control. Uh, so there there need, so so this 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 pain, this leverage that these sanctions are going to create. Are going to need to be somehow translated into a diplomatic progress. Uh, un- unfortunately, uh, we're in a situation where the Europeans uh, find themselves in opposition, uh, where there, where many people, many countries around the world um, aren't persuaded by U.S. arguments and U.S. policy. So the United States isn't going to have that gra- that that sort of um, uh, foundation of of global support for its efforts. That w- that will allow it to translate that. And I think that's the interesting thing for me. The uncertain thing to watch is exactly how it plays out beyond just the mere infliction of pain on on, a, on an authoritarian government that's not going to just walk off the scene.
0: Yeah, and, and to your point, there may even be more antibodies in the system to actually conceding to what is additional U.S. pressure. So the pressure actually may have to be, increase even more so to create the diplomatic conditions of... Uh, that, that would lead to another deal, let me ask you you both a, a question you haven't we haven 't talked about it you, you didn 't raise it. Uh, you talked about this in uh, the Venezuela example, Danny. There is a question of cryptocurrencies there 's a lot of attention to whether or not regimes like Iran, like Venezuela and announcing the Petro, um, even the Russians with the crypto ruble uh, discussions, whether or not cryptocurrencies becomes a vehicle. Uh, or the crypto economy becomes uh, a domain in which Iran can evade sanctions or resist sanctions, as uh, our colleague Yaya Fanoussi uh, talks about. Jennifer, have you thought about the cryptocurrency context as a sort of new vehicle that Iran may leverage?
2: I think it's possible. Um, what I know of cryptocurrencies, though, would tell me that it isn't. Um, it's 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 far from an ideal vehicle for that kind of thing there they, there's a lot of volatility there now it provides some anonymity privacy um but there's a lot of volatility there and um I think the scale of your ability to transact in those currencies is is not optimal um so I think it could happen. Um, it seems obvious that that could happen, but is that the preferred vehicle for evading sanctions? Maybe not so much as some really traditional method of evading sanctions. You know, um, and that would be my guess.
1: Cash and smuggling.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a near-term issue. I mean, who knows what the global financial system is going to look like ten years from now, twenty, twenty-five years from now? Right now, uh, there are there 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 are a lot of uh, illicit. Um, uses uh, for 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 cryptocurrency, certainly there are some cryptocurrency that are, that are designed to be anonymous that are designed to be able to make it difficult for the authorities to trace so so so, so cryptocurrency presents a, a threat and a risk in terms of organized crime and in terms of being able to conduct individual transactions. Uh, but the notion that uh, that a, a whole country 's economy is going to be run on on, on cryptocurrency. Um, you need to be able to buy stuff with it. What you know, Iran's gonna. I, I just don't. I don't. I, I have a hard time imagining the scenario um, where Iran, as a country, as an economy, um, is going to be able to achieve what it the very very basics of what it needs um, operating uh, by by cryptocurrency. And I I I, I know that. Uh, you know the, the the it's it's a sensational term. It's a sensational issue. Um, I don't think the Venezuelan experience with the, with the petro really provides a, a great, a, you know, a great success story uh, for the for the Iranians to follow. Russia is 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 a different story. The sanctions aren't as complete against Russia. Russia is far more integrated um, into the global economy uh, than either Venezuela or or, or Iran are. So. Um, I, I mean, that's probably a subject for, for for a different podcast. But I don't see cryptocurrency as being a realistic lifeline for the Iranians.
0: Yeah, and for those interested, we did do a podcast on uh, sort of cryptocurrencies and illicit finance and sanctions resistance. And so, if folks are interested in that, take a listen. Um, Jennifer, let me let me uh, let's conclude. And I want to sort of ask you because your your career has been uh, so impactful, so important. Um, Danny and I had the pleasure and, and honor of working with you. You started as a sort of a young analyst, uh, a young official in the Office of Foreign Assets Control, the, the body, OFAC, that, you know, administers U.S. Uh, sanctions policy. You left as the Deputy Assistant Secretary, very high level, the Treasury Department, very well respected around the world. You've seen, along with Danny, sort of the the evolution of the use of sanctions post 9-11. Um, how would you put kind of... The reimposition of Iranian sanctions in the context of where we are with our sanctions policy at large. I know that's a big question to end our podcast on, but I think it's it's an important one to get uh, to get your opinion on.
2: I think the thing the campaigns, if you want to call them that, that that I saw that were really successful were ones that took years to put in place. And they were really complex. Right. And you had a real diligent and um very persistent effort to build a narrative about the type of activity we were trying to address, to put the p- tools in place to get and most importantly to get other countries on board and that 's so hard um, and it, it remains difficult now but those those efforts in Iran was one of them i mean it, as Danny mentioned earlier, I mean was it a decade of work you know to to, to put pressure? On Iran, um, and and I think those campaigns have, were the most successful. Um, and I so so this feels that it, we're right at the beginning, um, and I don't know that you will see those kinds of results immediately. Um, there's clearly very a, a, a real seriousness in the administration about this this effort. Um, what they've done is very powerful measures, but. I think real uh success you have to it's a complex effort and it requires a lot of um engagement and strategy as it relates to other other governments to get them on board and so you know I think that's really what has to happen to to get the outcome that um I think they would like to get um and so we'll see it just feels a bit early um from my experience
0: yeah well that that suggests we're going to have to have a follow-on conversation which is great it sounds good to me uh, Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Thank you uh, for having me. This guest. was a real pleasure. This was fun, actually, and it really does suggest we've got to do this again. Danny, as always, you're insightful, provocative, and just fun to be with. So thank you. Thanks, Juan. Um, for listeners, uh, feel free to not only listen and share this podcast, but listen to our prior podcast. We also have several policy alerts that we published on the Iran sanctions program with details about not only the sanctions, but the timelines and uh, some insights as to what Finn thinks comes next. Thank you again for joining us on FinCast, the Financial Integrity Network's podcast series. See you next time.